All righty, very kind. Very kind. Shh. Taking away, you're taking away my time. All righty, here we go, here we go, here we go. Um, I got lots, lots to do in about 22 minutes here. Uh, first of all, man, I, I've been overtaken. I love, the reason I love this school is because our worship environment really is second to none anywhere in the United States for a Christian university. It really is very, very special. But also, it's not just uh, the beautiful uh, worship experience. It's just really the depth of the beauty of music. And when a student comes here in fine arts and studies music, uh, you get that anointed worship experience, that thing that has been on a Jeff Dio, his life. And by the way, Jeff, you spoke to millions of people yesterday. You killed it on national television. I'm so proud of you. I wish I could just show the six-minute interview on the 700 Club, but I'm proud of you, buddy. How many appreciate Jeff Dio in this university? And then tonight... Tonight and Sunday, but tonight at 7.30, I think it's my night, we have the songs for the season in which we, we literally light up this city uh, with some of the most beautiful music, and uh, everybody, you got to come either tonight or Sunday, what time is Sunday? At 4, and tonight is 7.30, right? So great night planned here uh, for songs for the season. And then I just, I was bummed I was not here on, on Tuesday I, I was wrapping up uh, actually a, a family day uh, out in California with my grandkids, and I missed the massive celebration of our national championship soccer team. And I just was so proud and blessed. And then Coach Lee, I, is Coach Lee in the building? Is he here in chapel today? He is the national coach of the year for the whole United States. And... The great flying one who's on all of our videos. Gabe, where are you at? Are you here? Would you the national player of the year right there? Stand up. Stand up, Gabe. The national player of the year for the whole country. Right there. Get his autograph. Get that man's autograph. Wow. That's awesome. And then last night I'm trying to do. I'm in school, so I'm, I'm in my uh, writing for my dissertation, which is a stupid, crazy, humongous paper that you have to do uh, to get a PhD, which stands for personal health disaster, by the way. <laughs> I'm trying to write, and I got the basketball game on, and I can't write because Jared High is like Steph Curry last night, 30 points in the first half or 27 points. Jared, that was ridiculous. The reason it touched my heart is because that's how I used to shoot every game. So I just want you to know that right there, bro. It spoke to me. It spoke to me. It spoke to me. What a great day. Great morning. Uh, our College of Business and Technology, our, our breakfast in Minneapolis here this morning was packed uh, at Anderson Chapel with just business leaders. Dean, uh, Bill Tibbetts right there. Fantastic. The team, magnificent. And then all of our guests that are here today, moms and dads, for the preview day. I came to one many, many years ago uh, with my daughter, and uh, so we just love having you on campus today. So we got lots to cover. Um, I'm going to, uh, my message is about a three-letter word that rhymes with stress, uh, by the way, and I'll tell you what it is. It was, I don't have a three-point message. I got a, a three-letter uh, message, and I'll give it to you in just a second. Um, but before we do that, how many of you love your mom and dad? You love your grandparents? Let me see. Like, how many went home at the holidays and like, 
it was a little emotional even, you got to come back to school for a couple weeks, uh, but it was a little emotional even saying goodbye, or maybe you didn't get to go home. I got to go home for the first time in four months to see my grandkids. We have six uh, kids, we have three more on the way, nine grandkids, uh, four regular kids, and we had a great time, and Elias is just turned three years old, and He's awesome. He calls Mrs. H, he calls her Gaga, which is a cool name for grandma, Gaga, Gaga, Gaga. And I think I told you, he turned to me and called me Kaka. And I said, no, 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 I know enough Spanish. That ain't going to fly. You ain't calling me Kaka. No, 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 not going to fly. But when you say goodbye to your parents or your grandparents, I think this is how it should roll. You got to watch it. Don't laugh. Don't, don't just watch this. Watch how Elias says goodbye to his mom and dad, or his grandparents three days ago. Watch this. right there. <laughs> that is how you got to say goodbye to your parents or your grandparents right there. 15 unsolicited goodbyes from Elias right there. So speaking of grandparents, I want to tell you about my grandpa real quick as I look to 1 Samuel 26 uh, verse 6 in a moment. But I want to put another picture up there if I can. Put that picture of that little multi-million dollar mansion right there. No, not really. That's in the little town of Redding, California. That was a house that was bought by a convalescent hospital. They turned it into a convalescent hospital and it operated for many, many years as a convalescent hospital. In the late 70s, um, there was a girl I liked, okay, and not the one I married, uh, praise the Lord, and, um, but she was nice. And she went to she wasn't in the convalescent hospital. She goes, what, you dated someone from a convalescent hospital? No, no, no. The convalescent hospital closed down and they sold it to a little church, a little Pentecostal church. And that's the church. It was called Faith Tabernacle Church, little independent church. I went to Bethel Church of Reading, um, but then there was a cute girl at this other church. And uh, she went to this little church. Probably 50 people went to this church. Maybe on Easter it was 50 people. A little tiny thing. And so um, I would go there. And these were sweet people that loved the Lord. This is 1978, uh, a long time ago, back in the 90s, or the 1900s, I should say, back in the 1900s. And I was probably 15 years old, born in 62, so maybe I was 16 at the time. All I cared about was basketball. Uh, I lived for basketball. My family moved so much. I just lived and died with hoop. I would shoot hoop eight hours a day anywhere. And then I'd come home in my little Nerf ball. I'd shoot for two hours in my bedroom. Uh, I loved, loved basketball. And so um, I uh, wasn't into the Lord at all. I had wore my baseball hat backwards. I sat in the back of a church. If I went, uh, if I was ever in a setting like this, I would have been on the back row as a hooper just with my hat on there, but totally a million miles away. 
And so that, that was who I was. And so I went to this little church on a Thursday night. And my, my grandfather and grandmother also lived in Reading. He wasn't my biological grandfather. And uh, this has always been something pow- powerful that has informed me in my life about biological family and spiritual adopted family. So my grandfather on my dad's side uh, divorced my grandmother. They had a very hard life, and he was unfaithful, ran off with another lady, and they got a divorce. And my dad and his four siblings, younger siblings, uh, were then left to really raise himself and was just given uh, this story that was not their own, which often happens when we're young. We have to carry around somebody else's story, um, that Mephibosheth or, or maybe uh, others in the Bible that were born, like Benjamin being named Ben-Oni at his birth, carrying around his mother's pain. That's your story. I'm assigning you your story. This is all you get for the rest of your life. A lot of students even come to this university believing that they are carrying uh, somebody else's storyline, and they just are obligated to that story. They can never have a new story of their own. I probably felt a lot like that, but I was distracted by, by just shooting hoops and being on my teams, which was really kind of my salvation was sports. And so um, I was 16, and I visited this church, and I was on the back row, and I had my head on the back row, and uh, a guy was up there speaking. I've told this story before. A guy was speaking, and he stopped his message in the middle of the message, and I had my arm around this girl, and I had my head against the back wall with my eyes open, but I was sleeping with my eyes wide open. How many know how to do that? You can do that. You learn that's a skill. Totally dead asleep with your eyes wide open. And this guy says, I want you in the blue shirt to stand up. And I've mentioned this before that he, was, he stopped his message in the middle of his sermon. He said, are you in the blue shirt? I want you to stand up. And he's pointing to the back of this little dinky church. The auditorium was kind of to the left where that little pinnacle is. And it went that way. Tiny little space. Maybe a third of the size of this area. But I was as far away as possible. No matter what size the room was, I was the furthest away from the front. And I realized he's talking to me. And he goes, you in the blue shirt stand up. And I, I was like, ah, uh, I, I wasn't talking. I thought I was in trouble. Like he was calling me out for disrupt. I wasn't even paying. I'm not disrupting your message. My eyes are open. Why, am, why are you doing this? And I, I, I prayed to God. Uh, first time in my life, dear God, let my shirt be green. And I did. I looked down. It was blue. And I stood up defiantly, almost like, like in a defensive posture, like, dude, what, what's this all? What, what? And he said, hey, young man, the call of God on your life is so powerful. Tens of thousands of people around the world will be impacted through your lifespan for the gospel. He says, if you go out of this building or hit by a truck and you break your back in 300 pieces, he said. This is so powerful. God will put all 300 pieces back in place. He said, as Mary conceived Christ in the womb, so the call of God is conceived in your life today. He said, but son, you possess something that the devil doesn't possess because Satan can't stop this call, but you can. He said, you can be seated. I'm not even a Christian. I thought you had to be a Christian to do that. I don't even love the Lord. There's nothing in me that wants the Lord. It was so bizarre. And I remember being in settings and hearing people speak in tongues, and I probably grew up around it enough, but it still was bizarre. And quite honestly, I never met until I was late in my teenage years an authentic, dynamic, true Christian that spoke in tongues. Everybody that did that was a phony behind the scenes. That was my experience. I thought it was 
kind of whack and a little uh, like take it or leave it type thing. It didn't register because I had never seen authenticity. I'd seen mainly hypocrisy. I don't know how God shielded me from that because I still had a tender heart when I was 18 or 19, even though I'd been around, been in an ocean of religious hypocrites. And when that happens hard, early, and fast in your life, your heart, you become a cynic, and it all, it doesn't reach you anymore, and you're dismissive, and you kind of mock it, and you laugh at people. Somehow God protected my heart that I didn't quite go there, but I didn't buy it. And so this guy does this. And so what happened uh, was it took about six more months, another message, the Lord went to a different layer. I didn't fall down and give it all up right then. I was just, just kind of like, you know, stone the false prophet. What's this guy doing? I, I'm not a believer. And so a couple months later, I yielded uh, on a Sunday night service uh, to everything to the Lord in my life. I was, I was 17, and the Lord, I went all in with the Lord, and he became bigger than basketball, which to me, that, there's nothing bigger than basketball at that point in my life. And I still loved to play, still went to college and had a great four years uh, there. Uh, was an all-American, blah, 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 uh, back in the day, before the three-point line. How long ago was that? But it was still fun to do, but it didn't have the same position in my life. So here's what happened. I meet Karen. I get married to Karen in 1982, August of 82. And my non-biological grandpa that had come into my life his name was Fred. He was a drunk uh, from Iowa and got radically saved in a tent meeting uh, in which this evangelist came in a tent to um, Iowa. Kind of an old school Oral Roberts kind of thing. That's way back in the 1900s. Uh, um, and he gave his heart to Christ and was radically delivered of alcoholism. And he was an architect by trade, but not on a computer. Computers weren't even on the radar screen. You, you, you drew with your hands. So he had his little uh, sketching table and he had this little company and he met my grandma. And I met him when I was a teenager. This man comes in my life out of nowhere and my non-biological grandpa. And he took me into his heart and he loved on me in a way that provided like this stability through our whole crazy family experience of 27 moves by the time I was 16. But Grandpa Fred was radical for Jesus. He had a little business in his garage of a little, lived in a house like this in Redding, California. And he read his Bible every day. And he would send money to help build Oral Roberts University. And he, there was, it just, he just loved the Lord, told about Jesus and him getting delivered of alcoholism. And so real fast, I got to do this. What happened is, is he, he saw something in my life and he used to speak crazy stuff over my life. Like, you know, God's going to use you, son, in a great way. Just a little glimpse, just a kind of a banner, kind of a fortune cookie one-liner. But I'm telling you something, it, it stuck, it meant something. It started to persuade and move and something started to form inside of me about Maybe this remote possibility that God wanted my life and God could use my life. And it was a series of events. And I, I was in that building when I got called to the ministry that night. And I just found this picture the other day on the internet. Um, and I stared at it and I cried on my phone. I go, whoa, 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 that's it. That's the building. That's where I was when I was 16 years old. And everything shifted, though that moment it didn't shift, but that's where it was all planted and it was laid out before me, just very simple. 
And then I met Karen, married Karen, and I headed off to Bible college or Bethany, it was like North Central. Still raw, rough, not getting it, terrible with school, totally still kind of driven by college basketball. And I came across this Bible that my grandpa gave me, and I hadn't read this literally in 30 years. It, the cover's torn off, and it's a King James Bible. It's called a Dake's Annotated Reference Bible. Now, back in 1980, this cost 120 bucks. It's an unbelievable story. There is some questionable dispensationalism in, this, uh, uh, in his notes, but there's tons of fantastic uh, research and data, but it's this page right here. And I read it the other day, and my grandpa wrote this to me and gave this to me at my wedding. I was 19 and uh, getting married to Karen, and we had no money. We had, we had $400 in total and no job. She had a car, though, that, what, that was pretty cool, a Celica. That was a great car back then. And grandpa says this. He says, Dear Scott, now I hadn't even taken a preaching class, nothing. And he gave me this $120 Bible. 120 bucks? I couldn't believe this, that he gave it as a gift. He wanted to invest in my life. And he wrote this. He said, dear Scott, may the Lord bless you uh, um, as, your, as you endeavor to commit your life to the ministry of his word. Your life shall be full of many blessings. And one of those is being the president of this school. He said, uh, from the Lord, if you allow him to use you in his will, if you allow him to use you in his will, it is as much of a blessing to receive as it is to give. Use this gift to aid you in the furtherance of his word. May God add his blessings on your marriage to Karen. And may both of you have many many years of service for his kingdom. We love you and shall pray for you, Grandpa Fred. Now, Grandpa Fred, he bought me my first Bible. He bought me my first blazer, not a suit, a blazer at Sears. Uh, this sucker had lapels. This is called a lapel. This is 1978. The lapel were like airplane wings, folks. You, you could make an entire outfit out of the lapel. The lapel was huge, polyester, because I had a little banquet and I didn't have a blazer and he bought me my blazer. He bought me my first Bible. He bought me my first piece of luggage. You know when your parents or grandparents give you luggage? It's like they say, hey, congratulations, now go somewhere. Uh, that's basically what luggage, always know that that's what luggage means, is that it's an encouragement to go do something with your life. But when my grandfather gave me the Bible, I began to articulate to God a very simple response that rhymes with stress. And I want to give you two verses of scripture and give you three, a three-letter word that rhymes with stress that's about to change your life. Here we go. Here we go. Put the verse up there. It says in, I mentioned this last year briefly in one of my teachings. 1 Samuel 26, 6 says, David then asked Ahimelech the Hittite. That sounds like a million people in the Bible. Like if you had to say, what's the most popular name in the Bible? People would say, oh, Ahimelech the Hittite. No. This guy has never been mentioned in the Bible till right now. There's Abimelech, there's some Ahimelechs, but not Ahimelech the Hittite. There's Hittites, but there's no Ahimelech the Hittite until right now. 
And Abishai, son of Zeruah, Joab's brother, David said, who shall go down into the camp with me to Saul? I'll go with you, said Abishai. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there was Saul. So I referenced this last year. I want to reset this because you cannot forget this for the rest of your life. There's two people sitting side by side with the exact same opportunity in life. Both people are asked the exact same question. It's a simple yes or no question. One of them says yes, and the other one does something worse than saying no. He says nothing. There's no recorded response from Ahimelech the Hittite. The only one that said something was Abishai who said yes. Which rhymes with stress, by the way. Yes. Y-E-S, yes. That's all he said. Simple question. Who wants to go? Who wants to go? At this stage of life, the questions are pretty simple. They're not that detailed. Who wants to move forward in the Lord in their life? Now, what does that mean? God never showed me I was marrying Karen. I actually dated four girls named Tammy. If you were betting, I didn't say I dated them at the same time. Well, there might have been some brief overlap, okay? It would have made texting very easy. Hey, Tammy, there would have been no confusion. Okay, come back, come back, come back. If you were a betting person, you're saying he marries Tammy. No, I married Karen. I, I didn't know that. I didn't know Jocelyn, Tyler, Kramer, Spencer were in the mix. I didn't know I was going to get 15 goodbyes from Elias. I never heard of North Central. I never heard of Real Life Church or Grand Rapids First Assembly or Harvest Church or Bethel Church where I was a youth pastor. None of that was in the mix. The questions were pretty simple. Who wants to go forward? One of them says yes. The other says nothing, just stares. There may not be a rebellion in you to say no. Is our piano player somewhere? Could he merge? Maybe right there. Now watch this, because we're going we're gonna to wrap here. Here we go. There may not be a rebellious no inside of you, but there could be a passive non-response inside of you, which is worse than the no. If we believe what Jesus said, be hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm. Ahimelech the Hittite was lukewarm. Who wants to go? One guy said, I'm in. Yes, yes. The other one goes. Nothing. What happens when you say yes? Next verse, please. Next book in the Bible, 2 Samuel. Such were the exploits of the three mighty warriors, Abishai. Oh, here's that guy that said yes in 1 Samuel. Abishai, the brother of Joab, was chief of the three. They're talking about the mightiest men of Israel. He said, he's chief of the three. Who is Abishai? The guy that said yes. Now, in 2 Samuel, after several years of leadership, 
This guy who never showed up in the Bible till he was asked the question. Abishai and Ahimelech never were mentioned in Scripture till they were asked the question. The guy who said yes, in the next book, it says that was chief of the three mightiest men of David. You've always heard that phrase. He raised his spear against 300 men whom he killed, these enemies, these Philistines. So he became as famous as the three. Was he not held in greater honor than the three? He became their commander. He was the mightiest of David's mighty men, even though he was not included among them. What a fascinating, we could unpack that in leadership, kingdom, all day long. There's so much, so many rich things in that verse about all of our futures. So the person that simply answers the simple question early, I'm in, I'll go, I'm going, moving, this way, yes. He ends up the mightiest of David's mighty men. Now, I want to show you where the next guy shows up in the Bible. Ahimelech the Hittite, he never showed up in the Bible until he was asked the question. He didn't say anything. He was passive, wouldn't respond. Here's where he shows up again. Nowhere. The guy appears one time in the Bible, is asked one question, and doesn't respond. And he's never heard from again. I can't guarantee where your yes will take you, but I will guarantee where your passive, paralyzed, fearful, aloof, non-response will take you, history will not remember that leader. At some point, you have to say yes to very fundamental questions. Are you, are you in? Are you going forward here with the Lord? Are you going this way? Yes, okay. Where that yes is going to take this room throughout the span of your lifetime, some punk little kid sitting in the back of a church, disinterested, getting poor grades in the small little town, trying to find a job for 3.05 an hour at Kmart. If somebody would have leaned up and said, hey, by the way, if you say yes right here, you're going to be the president of a university one day. Huh? I don't know where the yes will take you. Because there is some obscurity. It says, even though he's not named among the three, I think God keeps all great people off certain lists to compensate for the mightiness of how God uses your life. He has a way of keeping you off some lists. But I guarantee if you say nothing, you do nothing, you just keep staring. I'm not quitting, I'm not leaving, I'm not checking out, but I'm not entering in. I'm just gonna stare. Because saying nothing is worse than saying no. So I wanna encourage you to go all in with the simple questions at this stage of your leadership life, your kingdom life. Your life with Jesus. Yes, I'll go. And be that yes person, that all-in person. Even though the assignment is simple. Hey, let's go this way. We're just going this direction. Yes, God, I'm in. Where that yes will take you through the span of your lifetime, it's, it's, it's unfathomable to the human mind what's sitting in this room that's going to alter this earth. If we will say yes. Okay, let's stand up. Let's just pray right now. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you today, Lord. <laughs> we thank you today, Jesus. We thank you today, Jesus. Lord, help me to every day say yes to you, Lord.
that I'm going to go in a direction of the Lord every day of my life. When you ask me the fundamental questions, help me, Lord, not just to stare at you in silence as if I somehow can still move forward as a non-participant in the passion and the flow of your kingdom. It's not going to happen. So, Lord, thank you for simple questions early on. They're not complicated. Lord, I'm going to worship you today. I'm going to sing today, Lord. I'm going to go to my class today, Lord. Lord, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to read my Bible more than I watch sports and the news. I'm going to help alleviate someone's suffering today, Lord. Yes. I'm all in, Lord. Keep giving me my direction, Lord. I'm a yes person. And Lord, I do pray that the mightiest of David's mighty men and women, Lord, would emerge out of this house, this class, this year, that we would look back and they would say, I went to school with that person. I went to school with that person. I went to school with that person the way that that missionary just said about Dick Brogdon. Father, just bless this house in Jesus' name. We're going to open up the altars for prayer. Any of the staff and faculty that are here today, would you guys come and make yourselves available across the front? Um, how many glad you came to chapel today? We love you guys. And you go say goodbye to your grandparents and parents at least 16 times next time. Give them 16 kisses on the cheek. Break that record. I know some of our guests have got to go, but the rest of the chapel, we're just going to make this a time of worship and prayer. If you want to linger for a little while, portion of the time, all the time, it's Friday. These chapels, the chapel's open, and there'll be people to pray for you across the front. God bless everybody. Have a great day.